What's going on, guys, and welcome back to a brand new episode of the Let's Talk Fast podcast. I'm your host, Adam Martin, more commonly known as the No Breakfast Guy, and I hope you're doing what you love with the people that you love, and let's just jump straight into it. Well, welcome back. I think uh, it's a beautiful weekend here where we are right now, and I hope wherever you are right now, as I said, it is beautiful weather, or at least you are with beautiful people doing beautiful things. So, Guys, as you've seen, you've clicked on this podcast, it says the seven lessons I've learned that will save you time and money on your fat loss and fitness journey. And I thought I'd do this one because over the almost, if not past 20 years that I've been in this industry, whether that's been at uni or in clinical practice, there's been a ton of things and a ton of information that I've come across over that time that you know, if we went back 20 years, there's a lot of things now that I say that are in complete contrast to what I used to say 20 years ago, because of course things change, you know, everyone's always happening on, well, if science is always proven to be wrong at some point in the future, why do we ever bother listening to it if it's always going to change in the future? Because of course, we've only got the information that we got at hand now. And I think it's, Awesome. I, I love the fact that things are always progressing, things are always moving forward. And we were learning new things all the time that help us, you know, be fitter, be healthier, and do that in a more efficient uh, and effective way. And so there's a lot of things, and pretty much everything on this list, if you would come to me at the beginning of my career, I would have said the exact opposite. And so I want to say, I guess from the very moment that this is being recorded on the, I'm recording this on the 30th of January in 2022. So whenever you may be listening to it, whether that's a day that it comes out, which will be the 31st, or you're listening to this five years from now, I want you to just understand that everything you're hearing now is current information and up to date as of today. And have no doubt that things will change and things will progress and will, uh, these things will probably be outdated in uh, years to come. But the seven things, and they're in no particular order. These are what came to mind as the most, I guess, talked about things that I still see misinformation around. I still think, see people getting very confused around it, and I still see people talking to the opposite of what I'm going to tell you because they're still basing a lot of their information off things that they heard 20 years ago. And that's a big issue that I'm a big advocate for you know, people in my particular industry, whether that's exercise physiology, whether that's physio, whether that's a medical fraternity, the allied health and medical fraternity need to be doing continuing education every single year because you need to keep yourself up to date on the current uh, information and research that's going on. And so people who sit there and do their degree or do their diploma or do their certificate or whatever it is and go, cool, I'm done. You know, dust my hands, you know, I can now get into practice and never have to learn anything else because I know everything. I've done everything that um, my university degree uh, told me to and now I'm moving on. And so uh, I like the fact that the continuing education um, happens and that you need to kind of keep that up to continue your, uh, I guess, accreditations. And I'm an accredited exercise physiologist and I got a lot of things I got to do every year to keep that accreditation up. And I think that's a good thing. Because I learn things like this, and then I can then relay that information onto you. And so I want to relay it into onto you now. And I know that's a three and a half minute intro of me basically saying what we used to know isn't what we know now. And so here's the latest information. So I could have done that in about 15 seconds. But let's get straight into it, as I said, in no particular order. But number one, stretching is a waste of time and does nothing for helping you to reduce post-exercise muscle soreness. Now, almost everything on this list here today, there is going to be a caveat to it. For most of the population, and look, 
I'm talking to the broad spectrum of people here. I understand that there might be elite athletes that listen to this. I understand there might be complete beginners to this world that listen to this. They're two extreme, um, I guess, circumstances and people and part of the population. But most people fall in that middle. Most people fall in that bell curve in the mass majority. And for the mass majority, for all of these, basically, stretching is a waste of time. Now, again, as I said, there are parts of this population where clearly I'm not talking to you. If you're someone who needs flexibility in your life, then stretching is going to be of benefit to you. Be that you're a dancer, you're a, I don't know, a diver, you're in ballet, uh, you maybe want to become a yogi um, you know, expert. Whatever it might be, there are certain parts of the popula- population that being more flexible will be of benefit to you. And yes, you have to stretch to become more flexible. However, just because you're more flexible doesn't mean that you're going to be less prone to injury and stretching post-exercise definitely does nothing when it comes to reducing your post-exercise soreness. So that DOMS that you hear, that delayed onset of muscle soreness, you may have heard that term before, that's coming about by micro-tears happening in your muscle. That's normal. That's what's meant to happen. So when you go to the gym or you do any kind of lifting or strength training or even a a new activity, you might be going for a run for the very first time. What happens is little tiny little micro-tears happen in that muscle. Your body then goes, oh, we better repair those. But this time we're going to repair them a little bit stronger, a little bit bigger. So next time when we try and do whatever the activity you just did, we can do it at a better rate. Or if you do it at the same strength, speed when you're running or distance when you're running, that it then feels a little bit easier. And that's how progression happens. Those little micro tears happen, our body heals those. Micro tears again, body heals those. And over time, obviously, you're trying to push yourself to run faster, run longer, lift heavier, do more reps. That's how progress is happening. And that's what you may have heard of the term progressive overload. But doing a stretch post-exercise, even if you just think about this on a very simple level and forget all about the physiology that's going on, if little micro tears are happening in those muscles and those little tears, and now I will just put a caveat, it's not 100% sure why we actually feel delayed onset of muscle soreness. Most of the research suggests that it comes from the fact that these little micro tears are happening and those little micro tears cause soreness, but it's not entirely um, the case and there might be other factors uh, to it. But let's just say that's the only reason. If you think about it, if you're tearing the muscle and then you go and do a stretch that pulls those muscles even further and potentially is causing those micro tears to be even bigger, do you think that's actually going to help with the muscle soreness on the next day? Logically, it just doesn't make any sense that it would. Physiologically, understand that it has absolutely no benefit to you whatsoever. Now, I will again, there's caveats everywhere here. Post-exercise, there doesn't seem to be any physiological response to doing a stretch that's going to help you get back to recovery um, and, I guess, pre-exercise levels or reduce that soreness that you're feeling in those muscles. However, psychologically, there could be a benefit. Some people just feel better by stretching. And that placebo effect, even though it's not necessarily a placebo effect, but that effect in your mind saying, I just feel better because of that stretch. Whether it's physiologically done anything, that psychological benefit absolutely has real-world benefits to you that you might feel like you are feeling better even at 
the physiological level, nothing has actually uh, changed with regards to your muscles repairing any quicker. And so that's a big caveat to put that you might feel better even though physiologically nothing has actually improved. So put a caveat on it. But to kind of outround that completely is stretching pre-exercise should never, ever, ever, ever been done. And I've spoken about this on myths before with regards to, uh, I guess, a lot of the fi- uh, myths around the fitness industry. Stretching pre-exercise absolutely should never be done. It doesn't, um, I guess, decrease your chances of injury in that exercise bout. It doesn't warm you up. There's no benefits to ex- uh, um, no benefits to your exercise or, p- or your performance. In fact, most of the research suggests that doing stretching pre-lifting type exercises will actually hinder your performance. But that all aside, it's very small percentages. And again, for the mass population, that's not gonna make any difference whatsoever. But I absolutely would be steering people well away from stretching pre-exercise. Post-exercise, I personally think, and that's why I use the terminology in this, stretching is a waste of time. I just think it's a waste of time. Is there any detriment post-exercise stretching? I don't think so. And a lot of research doesn't suggest that there is. But personally, I'm a busy person. I got better things to do than spending 5, 10, 15, 20 minutes post-exercise stretching. So if you have that time and you want to spend that time post-exercise, by all means, go for it. Just understand there's probably no physiological benefit from there. And the psychological benefits are probably very minor. But again, if you want to do it, go for it. Number two, how many sets and reps you do makes no difference to the progress you make. Now, this is a really interesting kind of, I guess, part of the strength training research world at the moment, that they're looking at total volume. So whether you do four sets of five reps, so you're doing more like four or five or six sets, I should say, of very small amount of reps, or you do one or two sets of really high amount of reps, the total volume is about the same. Now, of course, you've got to work in uh, to that uh, equation weight. Of course, if you're doing less reps, you're likely probably lifting heavier weights. And when you're doing more reps, you're likely doing less weight, okay? And so the overall volume takes into consideration the weight moved. So let's just do a very basic one. If you did 10 kilo dumbbells and you pressed them 10 times, your volume would be 100 kilos. Does that make sense? We're lifting a 10 kilo weight and we're doing it 10 times. So 10 times 10 kilo weights, that's 100 kilos of volume that you've done. Now, if you do that as three sets, there's 300 kilos of volume. Now, how you make up that 300 kilos of volume is completely up to you. And it seems from what the research is showing pretty much at the moment, that however you make up that volume makes no difference whatsoever to the outcome that you're doing. Now, again, I'm talking to the mass population here. Of course, when we're trying to get very small percentage increases for the elite athletes that those very small percentage increases actually make a a potentially a tangible difference between getting a gold medal and getting a silver medal, then maybe we're looking to manipulate things to the nth degree and really getting into, okay, what kind of sport is this person playing? Should we be focusing more on heavier weights? lighter weights, more reps, less reps, and kind of going up and down and doing macro phases, micro phases, and formulating an entire structured program? Yes, but for the mass population that are just looking into the gym, wanting to get a bit fitter, wanting to get a bit stronger, want to put on a lean middle muscle mass, wanting to get faster, whatever it might be, for the mass population, how many sets and reps you do makes no difference. So next time you're at the gym, 
and you hear some gorilla in the background going, oh, no, three sets of 10 to 12 is the best one for hypertrophy and four sets of five is the best one for strength and pet. Like, you hear that all the time. And again, I'm putting my hand up and saying, I used to say this, but now I'm just saying, move a weight, move it as many reps as you would like to, do as many sets as you would like to and make it fit into the confines of what your workout is. If you're someone, look, I would say, if you're someone who is elderly, and um, you're just looking to get a little bit stronger, I wouldn't be loading you up with a really heavy weight because the risk to you is we could hurt your joints. You could be unstable and that weight could come down on you in a really uh, unfavorable way that really could put you at risk of hurting yourself or injuring yourself in your joint, your back, or wherever it might be. So I would be saying, let's lighten up that weight and let's do a heap more reps of it. Vice versa, if you're someone who's younger and you've got that ability to put more weight onto your your back or your joints or whatever it might be, then sure, let's put you at a um, a heavier weight and do less reps of it. But again, do it that suits you. If you prefer to lift heavy weights and do less reps of them and then just do extra sets or you're someone who enjoys higher reps doing less weights, then do that. But always make sure you're making progress. People who go to the gym and do the same thing over and over and over and over again, that's where you get stuck. That's where you're not going to see any progress whatsoever. So whether you do lighter weights and more reps, make sure though that that weight is still progressing or you're looking to include more reps. If you're looking to do heavier weights and less reps, same thing applies. Still try and do more reps at that weight or move that weight up and continue at the same reps. Just know, though, that the overall outcome is no difference whether you choose the lighter weights and more reps or heavier weights and less reps. makes no difference. A kind of secondary to that, but we're calling it an ex- um, you know, one of the seven that we're doing, is the type of exercise you do makes no difference whatsoever. Again, big caveat. If you're a runner and you want to become a better runner, then you probably should be doing more running. But again, for the general population that just wants to feel a little bit stronger, get a little bit faster, get a little bit fitter, whatever it might be, do what suits you. I had this conversation with a client just yesterday and they were saying, Adam, in my in my 5 in 10 program, I don't count walking as an intentional exercise just within the confines of my program because I'm really trying to push people to actually include exercise in their life that isn't just walking. And that's not to say walking isn't great. Everyone should be walking. We should be walking more, whether that's walking to work or parking further away from things and walking to wherever we're going, walking to the park with your kids, going to walking to school with your kids, whatever it might be, get on your feet. And even if that is intentional, that you know you're going to meet up with a friend and actually go for a walk with them, I don't care. Just get out there and get moving and get walking. Absolutely. But in the confines of my program, I don't call it as an intentional exercise. That's just kind of leading you to the point why I was having the conversation with this person. That person was saying, well, Adam, what's intentional exercise? Like, what could I include? And my answer to that client was anything you like. Now, you know you hear me bang on about the fact that people should be doing more strength training. Absolutely, you should be. And that word is very, uh, I use that word very um, purposely because yes, you should be. But if you genuinely hate going to the gym and doing strength-based type circuits, be that at the gym or at home, if you genuinely hate it, you're not going to do it. And you're certainly not going to do it long-term enough to actually get some benefits from it. So I'd much rather you pick something that you like, that yes, it might be less favorable to helping you 
build lean muscle, get stronger, help your joints, help your mobility late, like now and later in life. But if you're not going to do it, you're never going to actually get the benefits from it. And so I'd much rather see you go rock climbing on a regular basis than try and force yourself just to do something just because it's more textbook better. Now, that's why, again, I say the type of exercise you choose to do makes no difference when it's done consistently. You're going to get fitter. You're going to get stronger. You're going to move better. You're going to get all those benefits that you get from exercise by doing exercise. Now, whether you choose Pilates, rock climbing, you play tennis, you want to go to the gym, you swim, you run, just pick something and do it. Now, you can sit there and say, Adam, I hate it all. I don't like exercise whatsoever. Okay, cool. You're in the very, very small part of the population because I can guarantee you that while you say that, there's probably something that you do enjoy. And if you don't enjoy anything, there's probably a ladder of enjoyment that there might be things that you truly hate, but there's things that you might not hate, you might not like, but you like them slightly more than you like those, those, uh, those things that you hate. And so pick something that you find somewhat enjoyable. So when those cold days come, when those times come where you haven't had a great night's sleep, when those times come where you're just like, I can't be bothered today, you still turn up and do it. Because for me, surfing, I just, I'm absolutely obsessed by getting into the water more. And when I say surfing, I'm a body surfer and a boogie boarder. Doing that and going to the gym, those things, I don't care how um, demotivated I am, it takes me half a second to think, hmm, I'll go lifting today or hmm, I'll go to the beach today. I don't care how demotivated I am, I can still go and do those. If you said to me, though, the only way to get healthy and fit, Adam, and you know really improve your um, health and well-being is through doing yoga, I would never turn up because I don't want to do it. I hate it. I hate yoga. It's just it's not for me. I've tried it. Just don't enjoy it. That's not to say yoga is not bad. If you love yoga, go do yoga. But the point of this, um, I guess this point that I'm trying to make is you've got to do something. You've got to do it consistently. You've got to do it when you don't want to do it. And so find something that you do enjoy even when you least want to do it. Key point. Uh, Number four, the food you eat make no difference. Now, this is kind of, again, a global kind of thing. And don't kind of find a loophole in this statement go, cool, Adam said the foods I eat don't make a difference, so I'm just going to eat Twinkies and donuts every day. Clearly, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm trying to get across is if you're someone who, whether it's ethically and morally, or you just think that there is a benefit to eating more plant-based foods and not eating as much animal-based foods, go for it. If you're someone who wants to enjoy animal-based products, then enjoy them. If you're someone who likes carbs, eat them. If you're someone who likes, you know, think, no, I like more fattier foods. I like my nuts. I like my um, fattier fish and avocados and olive oils and things like that. And yeah, carbs, you know, breads and things like that, that just don't um, faze me too much. Then do that. The end of the day, it makes zero difference. When the overall kind of constitution, is that the word I'm looking for? But let's just use it. Overall constitution of the foods that you include are nutrient dense and include plenty of plants. I think plants should always make a very high portion of what we eat. Plenty of fruits, plenty of vegetables. And then me personally, I'm thinking that I'm going to include a protein source that comes from animal products. Now, protein's incredibly important. So again, whether you're including protein from an animal, 
plant-based product or a plant-based product, just get protein into your diet and choose it from whatever you want. And everything else around that, choose what suits you. It goes back to what I just said before. The type of exercise you do makes no difference. Choose something that you're going to want to eat day in and day out. You're going to be doing this for the rest of your life, so you might as well enjoy it. So eat the food you enjoy and enjoy them. Just know there's zero guilt around any kind of food. Carbs are not making you fat. Carbs are not um, stopping you from um, achieving fat loss if that's your goal. Fats don't make you fat. Fat is not unhealthy in and of itself. No food is unhealthy in and of itself. Yes, there are more nutritious foods, and we should probably be including more of those in our diet and less foods that are really high in calories and hyper-palatable in that they just taste really good because they're full, full of sugars and fats and they've been engineered for us to you know, really crave them. Yes, we probably shouldn't be having as many of them. But to say you can't have them at all is absolutely false, and you should absolutely include all array of foods that you love. Number five, this is a big one. Sleep is the most underrated thing that you can do for your health. It just does not get spoken about enough. We need to be talking more and really leaning on why sleep is so important. And if you haven't read the book yet or listened to it on Audible, Why We Sleep, I can't remember the um, author, I apologize for that, but just Google it, Why We Sleep. Um, book, I reckon if you went to Google and said, book, why we sleep, it'll come up there. It is one of the best books and it'll terrify you when you hear the content of just how important sleep is and what happens to us both physiologically and psychologically if we don't get enough sleep on a regular basis. Every single person on this planet probably thinks they're getting enough sleep and go, ah, no, no, I can get by on that amount. I'm fine. No, you're not fine. You need more sleep. I, I can almost hand on heart say that every single person would do better with more sleep. So sleep, as I said, it just is far too underrated and it doesn't get spoken about enough in the realms of health and well-being, both for fat loss, physicality, psychologically, all of those parameters, they all improve and our life overall gets complete, 100% turned around better when we get more sleep. Don't believe me? Just give it a go. What's the worst that could happen over the next, okay, let's just say next two weeks. I know I, I don't, can't remember when the podcast was, but I might have been last week, but I set out a, um, um, what's it, a challenge for you to just do um, five minutes of walking every single day. A number of you emailed me and said, Adam, all right, I'll do that. Five minutes of um, walking every single day. I can get that done. Here's another challenge for you. Go to bed earlier, stop scrolling social media and stop watching TV late at night and stop doing work late at night. Go to bed earlier for two weeks straight. Get a good amount of sleep each night. Six hours at a bare minimum, but seven hours or more every single night and go to bed at the same time and get up at the same time every single day within a 30-minute window or so. So if you're normally going to bed at midnight, bring that forward to at least 10 o'clock. Go to bed between 9.30 and 10.30. So there's that half an hour each way of that 10 o'clock. And get up, what's that, seven hours beyond there. So get up at 5.30 to 6.30 at some point every day. If it's six to seven, I don't care where it is, but get at least seven hours in there. I just did the seven hour number there. But wake up within a one hour window and go to bed within a one hour window every single day for two weeks and make sure you're getting seven or more hours, but at least six hours, definitely... um, you know, I'd err on the side of seven, but at least six hours every single day for two weeks and tell me that you're not feeling better. 
Tell me that life hasn't got better. Tell me that you're not as stressed as you were. Tell me you don't have as much anxiety as you used to. Tell me that if you're on a fat loss journey that uh, you're not finding it much easier now. Tell me that you aren't more energy filled when you wake up and you're just like, I want to go and exercise. I want to do more in life. I guarantee you every single parameter of your life will improve if you make sleep a bigger priority in your life and you do that challenge that I just said and then continue it. Obviously, two weeks is the starting challenge. Just tell me how you feel. If you don't feel any better, come and tell me that you didn't feel any better after that two weeks. I can guarantee I won't get a single email because every single one of you will feel better and you go, I want more of this. Good, keep doing it then and I guarantee you, you'll continue to feel better and better and better the longer and more you make that as an important priority in your life. Number six, there is not a single fat loss product on the market that works, period. And there's no caveat to that. There is not a single ad you've seen for a product, potion, exercise program, exercise equipment, um, wrap, cream, um, supplement. I don't care what it is that you have seen or you've heard your favorite fitness person say, not a single one of them is effective at helping with fat loss. None of them. I don't need to say anything more about that. I said in the title um, that this uh, podcast was, you know, seven things I've learned over my time that help save you time and money. This is the money-saving one. Never, ever, 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 ever buy another product, potion, exercise equipment, exercise program. I don't care what it is. Never buy another thing in your life. Save your money because none of them work. None of them help you with fat loss. You can't rub a coffee cream on your thighs and think it's going to melt fat away. You can't go to a place and use some sort of cryo wand that's going to freeze your fat away. There's no supplement that you can take that's going to melt visceral fat away. There's none of them work. They're all a waste of money. Save your money, period. I'm going to leave it there because there's nothing more to say. If you're still not convinced and you want to go and buy it, then go and do it. Go and waste your money. That's your money to go and waste. But I promise you, there's not a single product on the market that actually works to say, uh, help you lose weight. The only thing that helps you lose weight is being in a calorie deficit. And we went over, you know, the foods that you eat make no difference, doesn't. You can choose whatever food you want to within that calorie allotment that you get. But if you're in a calorie deficit, weight will come off, period. Last one, I wouldn't be the no breakfast guy if I didn't bring this one up, but breakfast is not the most important meal of the day. It's a myth. It was created by Dr. John, John Harvey Kellogg's. He created cornflakes. He was trying to market his new breakfast dinner box cereal. He went to his uh, brother, who was a medical uh, professional as well, but also in the marketing um, world, said to him, how do we make this go? Well, let's just ask a few of our doctor mates and see if it's preferred that we should be having more breakfast in the morning. Uh, so he said, yeah, it's, it's preferred. It was a very different time back then. So of course, it's probably more preferred to kind of start your day with that. So they then marketed as the most important meal of the day. And to his credit, it's the greatest marketing campaign the world has ever seen because still to this day, people still say that if you miss it, that you're going to put your body into starvation mode and it's going to hang on to every calorie. If you miss it, you're going to be um, running out of energy and you're going to be hangry all day. And you're going to be craving like all of these things that, again, I used to say them, but clearly it's not the most important meal of the day. You do not need it to help kickstart your metabolism or help you with the fat uh, with uh, the fat loss process. Anything and everything to do with uh, breakfast helping 
in that kind of sense, it's absolutely false. And then the flip side to that, though, is that this world, and again, I was guilty of it when I was writing um, my book and doing my research and looking at a whole heap of research that I was then going to put into words and paraphrase into my, my book of here's the current research. I was misled myself. There's things in my book I disagree with now, and I've always thought, you know, I, I might do a 2.0 version of that, and you've heard me talk about I'm going to write another book at some point, and I've said that for years now, but I just haven't gotten around to it. It's just not something I really want to be doing right now. At some point, I will, though, but there's many things in my book that I just completely go against uh, or steer the other direction now, and I see far too many people now taking liberties with some of the research that has been seen and bending that data to show benefits that are just not true. Now, one of the big ones that I see a lot of the fitness fraternity say is that skipping breakfast sends your um, hormone level of growth hormone through the roof. And then this is a really good thing for us to put on huge amounts of muscle. Yes, growth hormone goes up, but it's the reason it goes up is because you're in a stressed environment. Now, I don't want to use the word stressed as a negative. When you haven't gone, when you haven't had food for quite some time, it is a in quote stressful environment. But that's not necessarily a bad thing. When you exercise, you are stressing your body. That's a good thing. Acute, and uh, I should say acute but regular, not frequent, but regular acute bouts of stress are good for us. Regular exercise is good for us. It's also a regular bout of stress. Whether it's going into a cold shower and acutely stressing yourself psychologically, there could be a benefit to that. Being in a chronic state of stress is not a good thing. Sitting at a desk um, at a job that you hate or being in an environment around people that you hate, those kind of things that cause you chronic stress are not good, but acute and regular bouts of stress are very good for us. The reason I say all of that is that having fasting in the morning is creating an environment that is an acute stress to the body. The body uh, reacts to that by sending up growth hormone to make sure we're maintaining muscle. There's a whole heap of things that growth hormone is very good for us. One of them being rejuvenation, and it's obviously a big thing when we have done a workout overnight, growth hormone goes up, helps us rejuvenate and get um, the recovery process going. So people saw this jump when we're fasting go, oh, Fasting must be the best way then to help with that growth hormone and it's going to be the best environment for us to be in when it when coming to try and put on muscle. Muscle needs energy. Yes, there's a very acute jump in growth hormone, but then it plummets the moment you start eating again, actually down and below levels that it would have normally been at if you hadn't fasted that morning. I'm not saying this is a negative because it's the overall average of where your growth hormone level is for the day that's going to actually have the overall effect to you so whether it spikes and then comes down low whatever that average is or i should say the other environment would be where it's just kind of fluctuating very small amounts whether that fluctuates very small or you got fluctuations that are very big whatever the average is that's what we're looking for the best way you can affect growth hormone and have higher levels of it is get more sleep goes back to that one i said before Deep sleep is where uh, growth hormone is activated the most. And so get better sleep, get lots of deep sleep within that sleep, and you'll definitely uh, do better for that growth hormone coming into you. That's just one of those things. But there's so many other things that I hear all the time that are just absolute garbage. And one of them being that if you're fasted and you know, you're skipping that morning meal and then you go and do exercise, that you burn more fat, it's better for fat loss. 
Burning fat and fat loss are two very different things. And again, I've spoken about this in previous podcasts and in emails that I write. But the fuel source that your body uses is completely different to fat loss as a process. Just because your body is preferentially using fat as a fuel source doesn't mean you're actually losing fat. Fat loss comes from a calorie deficit. Okay? If I force-fed your body, and this is another thing that people in the keto world um, falsely misrepresent the data that's coming out. If you are fed high levels of fat, as you would be in a keto diet, your body, of course, is going, well, I've got no carbohydrates for readily available energy. What's What else have I got here? Oh, this person's giving me heaps of fat. Well, I'll use fat as my fuel source. Because you're forcing a lot of um, fat into that engine, which is your body, to be forcing it to use fuel. doesn't mean you're losing fat. You're just using that fat that you're actually putting into your body. It's an in and out type thing. So if you're putting in heaps of fat and you're burning heaps of fat or you're not putting in much fat and you're not burning much fat, the net result is exactly the same when the calories that you're consuming is exactly the same. So again, breakfast is not the most important meal of the day. Establish that. Perfect. No worries. I don't think anyone, no, I can't say anyone. Of course, that myth is still around. People still sit there and say, but it's getting far and far less. I'm not saying I was a catalyst for that. There was plenty of people doing and talking about intermittent fasting well before me, but I did bring my book out a long time ago now, and it was on the kind of very, I guess, beginnings of this um, explosion of people talking about um, fasting. And so it certainly isn't the taboo topic that it used to be. Most people would sit there and agree that it's not the most important meal a day. Is it preferable to have it? Is it not preferable? You can be the own judge for yourself. But it, just to understand, it's not the most important meal a day. If you don't have it, the world isn't going to end. But just as a flip to that, as I said, far too many people now in the fasting world, and again, I'll put my hand up at the beginning. I was very much like this, but I've loosened hugely on this now, is there's not some magical power to fasting either. It's not going to reset your immune system. It's not going to cure cancer. It's not going to magically melt fat away. All of these things that I do hear and hear people talk about, it's absolute garbage as well. It's just a really, I, I think for me, it might not be for you, but it's a really good way of helping me control my calories throughout the day because I'm not having a morning meal that has four to 600 calories in it. I can distribute those calories at somewhere else in my day, meaning I can have two bigger meals for the day. My lunch and my dinner can be bigger because just kind of distributed my calories in that particular way. If you're someone though that prefers to have smaller meals and have more of them, by all means do it. But just understand that neither one of those is going to be any better when again, the outcome has you eating the same amount throughout the entire day. They're my seven lessons that I hope save you time and save you money moving forward. They're the things I've learned and that I'm hand on, you know, hand honestly on my heart and saying, I used to think the opposite of every single one of these. And the reason I wanted to do this podcast again is to say that I'm a professional in this industry and I get it wrong. And we as professionals get it wrong as we learn along the way. And so I say this, you know, with much respect is that you, the general um, population, it's completely fine to get confused about uh, all this because there is information coming from everywhere. But I hope that people like myself that can be honest about the conversation of here's what we've learned, here's how it's progressed, and here's where we are now, that we can then hopefully give you a, a clearer view of what's going on and what's going to help you best move forward. 
And my whole aim is always to make it as simplistic as possible. And so if you've heard all of that and you're, you're even more confused, all I want to basically round this podcast out with today is this. Just do something and do it frequently. That's all you need to really do. You know, too many people are procrastinating on the sidelines trying to find, in quote, the perfect exercise program or the perfect um, nutrition program or the perfect this or the perfect that. None of that fluff that people like myself, but I hope I do it in, a, uh, in, a, in an honest way and kind of be upfront in what the results are going to be. But a lot of the, in quote, guru garbage influencers that are out there on Instagram and social media and on, on your TV and wherever it might be, trying to sell you this secret or this, we found this hack or whatever it might be, they're all full of shit. None of it matters. Just move more, know what food you're putting in and how many calories it can kind of contains, get more sleep, and you won't do bad. That's terrible English, but I hope it makes sense. But guys, I think that's the end of this podcast and I really hope that you've enjoyed it. I hope you've learned something. I hope the lessons I have learned have now been imparted onto you and you have learned something from today and you can go away and live a healthier, happier life and do it more effectively, more efficiently, save you time, save you money, and you can enjoy it more. You, know, you might have come into this podcast thinking that strength training is the only way to move forward with exercise and you go, I've never really liked it, but I really just love to dance cool, go and find a dance class. Go and enjoy the exercise. Do it frequently. You know, want to then go exercise every single day. And again, with all the food, don't get caught up with the garbage that we hear around food. Just eat foods you love. Of course, lean on things that are, you know, more nutritious for you. But eat the foods you love. Get lots of sleep. Spend time around people that you love. Do exercise that you love and you can't go wrong. Guys, I'm going to get out of here. I hope you have a fantastic day. Like this podcast, share this podcast, subscribe to this podcast. I can't wait to see you all next week. I'll talk to you then. Take care. Bye.